All right. Well, good morning once again. Uh, really excited uh, to be starting this Promised Land series. We put a lot of uh, a lot of thought, a lot of prayer into this series. We're excited for the timing of it um, because, as my first slide is going to tell you, um, we're moving. And some of you have flashbacks and think, oh, no, not again. Because if you're not familiar with the history of Jinx Church, we've just moved uh, within the last year and a half. So don't worry. It's not that type of moving. Um, but what we are doing is we're moving as a people. Uh, hopefully, we're moving as individuals, that, that God is doing something in our lives. And so what your staff, what your leadership here at Jinx Church believes is we believe we're all moving, that God is all moving us somewhere in a direction uh, that is far greater and better than anything we could imagine for ourselves. And so we're really excited about this idea. Now, I'm not a big fan of moving. I, I don't know about you. Um, I lived in the same house uh, from the time I was born till the time I left for college. My parents actually still live in that house, and so they've been there a good time. Uh, and so I didn't really know moving. I never experienced that as a kid. And then it seemed like when I hit 18 and went off to college, I moved constantly. And so I got really good at it. I became somewhat of an expert. I got so good that, that during college when I was still single, I could get everything I owned into the back of a truck by myself, get it moved and unloaded by myself. Now, part of that was because I was a poor college kid and I didn't have much stuff. The other part is because I was a good organizer, right? And I knew how to pack and, and get it ready. And so I felt pretty good about it. And then I got married. And it's amazing how much stuff you accumulate when you get married, and so then we would start moving as, as college kids uh, that are married do and jump from kind of one apartment to the next or a house or move around. Then we got into ministry and had to move there and, and different things. And it was always interesting that there was so much to do and, and we would kind of have to plan it out. It didn't just happen, right? There were things we had to do. There were things we had to plan. There were ways to go about it. And, you know, if you know Amanda, you know she has uh, good taste, and so there was certain things that we had to move, and then certain things that were out of style, and we couldn't move that anymore, and so we had to get rid of that and get something new, and right, it's a whole process. This, this moving thing's not easy, and just what I'm trying to tell you. And for some of us, I would guess for most of us, moving spiritually is about the same. We don't really enjoy it all that much. Right? It takes a lot of effort. It takes, it takes a lot of work. There's things we've got to get rid of. There's things we've got to do. There's preparation that has to be made. And sometimes it's just completely out of our control. Right? Because sometimes your house sells the day you put it on the market and you had no idea. Now you don't know where you're going to go live. And other times you think you're going to move and your house won't sell. And you're stuck in this limbo forever. And so you struggle with this idea of, of moving or not moving and how and the timing and but what I want you to hear today, as, as we start this series, is that I believe God's moving you. He's wanting you to move as a person. Because the truth is, God's people are always on the move. They're always moving. He's always doing something. He's always leading and moving and adjusting. He's always relocating his people. And so in this series, in this Promised Land series, we're going to be in just a small section of Scripture in Exodus chapter 6. Because it's in that that we see the most obvious uh, illustration in Scripture of God moving his people from one place to the next. And we get to see this illustration of, of this process. And so what we're going to do over the next promises, and we're going to talk about each one of those promises 
one week at a time. And then at the end, in November, we've got a special service, a special communion service plan in which we're going to celebrate these four promises of God. But today, today I'm just setting it all up. Today I'm just kind of giving an overview of what this is and what we're looking for. And then at the end, I'm going to give you one question to kind of take home and wrestle with. One question that we want you to ask yourself personally about what God is doing and wants to do in your life. And so let me give you a little context, a little backstory before we get into it. But in Exodus chapter 6, uh, God is making promises to his people. He is, he is approaching them. He's got Moses. He's talking to, to the people. But they're still in Egypt. They're still in captivity. They're still in slavery and oppression. They are still just have no idea how to possibly even think about moving. It's never been an option. You grow up, your parents were slaves, your grandparents were slaves, your great-grandparents were slaves, you're going to be a slave, your kids, your grandkids. And that's all, that's how they thought. And God shows up and has this conversation with Moses in which he says, no, no, I've got something different. I'm going to move my people. I'm going to bring them to a, to a physical, literal promised land, but also, also to a spiritual promised land, which they can experience freedom and, and just the overwhelming goodness of God. And so eventually, at the end of this, the Israelite people, God's people, are going to get to the Jordan River. They're going to cross over, and they're going to inherit a land that they did nothing to earn. They're going to inherit houses that they didn't build, crops they didn't plant, blessings that they did nothing to receive, and yet that's the goodness of God. That's how much he loves his people. He has something better planned. He has blessings in store. And so we believe that in this series, in these next few weeks, as we study this and worship through this and pray through this, that God is going to move in our lives, that God is going to move in our church. He's going to move our marriages. He's going to move our relationships, our parent-child relationship. That He's going to move in our neighbors, in our coworkers. That He's going to move in our hearts. Because see, the reality is that God's people are always on the move. And when we look around at our world and we say, oh, this needs to change and that needs to change. Listen, it doesn't start on social media rants. It doesn't start on the 6 o'clock news. It starts in the hearts of God's people. And when we allow God to move us, we move our schools, we move our communities, we move our state, and we ultimately move the world. And we begin to change because that's what God does. He changes the hearts of his people, and then he changes the world through them. And so the background is, here's Moses, they're still in slavery, and God looks down, and in verse 6 of Exodus 6, he says this, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. Here's the promises. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And with mighty acts of judgment, there's the fourth one, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God, and then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And these are the promises that God made. These are the promises that God gives to Moses 40 years before he would fulfill them. 
40 years before they came through, before they're even out of slavery, this is the promises of God. And what I want you to hear today is that God is a promise maker, but God is also a promise keeper. And the reality is, he under promises and over delivers. That all the things God tells us, he always fulfills, but then he always goes above that. And we receive so much more than what we think, so much more than what we're able to do. And so here, uh, God shows up and he says, listen, I know you don't see it now, but there's a plan. And the plan is to move you in to something better. Now, let me kind of illustrate how we're going to go through this today this way. Um, come the spring, our family will be looking for a new house. Um, we, we're going to be moving in the spring. We're going to be purchasing. And so first thing we do when we start looking for a house is we call Kelsey Sellers, and she's going to find us the best one for the cheapest price, right? Yes, that's what I like to hear. You heard it here. We've got it on tape. She's committed, right? No, because we don't call Tracy because Tracy's not here enough, so we call Kelsey, right? Yeah, jab at dad today right there. Right, But what most of us do, and what we do right now, is there's an app, isn't there? And they're not the best apps. I get no endorsement from these apps. But you get on Zillow, and you get on things like that, and you just start comparing neighborhoods. right? Because before Kelsey's going to spend all her time driving me and Amanda around and us being extra picky, we've got to do a little research on our own. We've got to start figuring out, well, what neighborhood do we want to be in? Well, what does this neighborhood have that this neighborhood does? And we start comparing. What school district is it in? And how many pools and splash pads and playgrounds? And, right, because that's a thing now. That's what we look at when we look at houses and neighborhoods. And we start comparing. So what I want to do today is I want to do that. I want to compare where God's people were when the promises were made and where they were going. And I want to compare these two neighborhoods, if you will, and in the process discover how good God is in fulfilling and at the end, I've got a question for you to see how it applies to your life. So let's do that. Let's compare the neighborhoods. We'll start with the land of Egypt. That's where they were when all of this started. And so you start with the land of Egypt, and the one thing, one of the markers of the land of Egypt was death. Right Now, say what you will about our time, our country, whatever, as many problems and struggles as we have, the word death is not a marker for who we are today for our society, for our culture. Because see, for, land, for the people living in Egypt at the time, death was a reality. It was nothing for somebody just to be working alongside them, making the bricks in slavery, and just drop dead. Right? They had no future. Death, the death expectancy was, was 100%. Like, nobody expected to ever make it out of this to live through this. And so, when you're in that neighborhood, when you're in that life, death is just a reality. So we've got kids, and we often ask our girls, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And depending on the stage of life your kids are in, you're going to get everything from policeman, fireman, to Disney princess and superhero, and right? Or maybe they're evolved a little bit like ours are, and now they're actually some legitimate careers, right? We've got some veterinarians and zookeepers and doctors and lawyers, and do you really think that the Israelites' parents ever ask their kids, what do you want to do when you grow up? No, because there was no options. Death was the only option. It was, it was the only way out of this life, the only way out of slavery, the only way out of oppression is to die. So that was one of the big markers of life in Egypt. But another one was just slavery. If you didn't die, you just worked. And you may have prayed for death, but you couldn't. 
So you were just a slave. You were just being beaten and worked and taken advantage of day after day after day with no end in sight. And it wasn't like it was, oh, you know, they work them hard for a few days and then they get a day off and they get a little time on Instagram and Facebook at the end of the day to kind of unwind and... No. It was 24-7. 365 days. It was just constant, overwhelming oppression. And I've got to think, if I'm in that type of environment, if I'm living in a land that's just marked with death and slavery, give me death. God, just... Just go ahead, God. Just take me, take me out of this. I can't deal with it anymore. It's too much. It's too overwhelming. Which leads to the third marker. It was just hopeless. They just lived in a constant state of hopelessness in which they had nothing to look forward to. They had no future. They had no destiny. They had no plan. That families were divided, that kids were taken away, so you couldn't even enjoy watching your own family dynamic grow. You didn't have that time to come together. You were just completely hopeless in all that you did. And every once in a while, I've got to imagine that you get the grandparent or you get the older family member who around the campfire at night or in the home before bed, they kind of rally and they try and breathe a little hope into things. And they say, hey, let me tell you about Abraham and about Isaac, and about Jacob. And let me tell you about what God did, and he's our God, and be quiet. Don't, don't tease us with hope. Don't get our hopes up with these stories, these fables. They didn't even know how to embrace hope because they were so overwhelmed that there was no way that any of those things could be true because really, and the final marker, we're just forgotten. God's just forgotten us. He's abandoned us. He wants nothing to do with us anymore. Now, I don't know about you, but I look at that list and I think, I don't want to live there. I don't want to live in a land where I'm constantly feel abandoned and forgotten, where there's no hope, where there's just oppression and stuff weighing me down, whether it's finances or relationship or my job. Or... But a lot of us do, don't we? A lot of us, that's the reality of what we wake up to every day is that there's just no end in sight and we just go from one thing to the next to the next and it's a hopeless, overwhelming situation. And yet God promised the Israelites and, and what I want you to hear today is he promises you too, you don't have to live like that anymore. That there's a plan, there are promises for a better life. And so you take this and you fast forward 40 years. And God's never left them. God's never really forgotten them. While they didn't maybe feel or understand the presence of God, he's been there. And so you fast forward 40 years to the fulfillment of these promises, to the promised land. And that's a land marked with salvation. Because the four promises are, he starts, he goes, listen, I will save you. I will bring you out of this land. He says, I know where you're at. I know what you're going through. I know the struggles you're facing day to day, and I love you enough. I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to bring you up out of that. I'm going I'm to save you from what's going on. And that's the same promise for you and I today. God says, I'm going to save you. I, I am your Savior. I've made a way. I've got a plan for you to receive something better. And next week, that's where we're going to jump in. We're going to spend the whole day talking about this promise of salvation. And so let's, listen, let me be very transparent and clear. If you know anybody who doesn't know Jesus, 
If you have anybody, a loved one, a son, a daughter, a mom, a dad, anybody that you know and you love that needs salvation, get them here next Sunday. Bribe them. Lie to them and then ask forgiveness later. Kidnap them and just don't tell me about it. Right? That's a joke. I do want to hear about it if you kidnap them. But get them here because we're going to share this beautiful promise that God gave that says, hey, I know where you're at. And I know what you're struggling with, and I know what you're going through, and I will save you. I will bring you out of whatever it is. And listen, we've got to remember, especially for those of us that have been in this whole church relationship with Jesus thing for a long time, salvation is not the end of our journey. It's the starting point, right? Oftentimes in church, it's, oh, I can't be saved because I don't know enough. No, no, no. That's where we start. We start with salvation. We start with knowing and admitting, God, I need you to save me. Then we start the journey. And yet so often what we do is we, we just end right there. We receive that beautiful promise of salvation. We say, okay, I'm good. And what I want you to hear, because if that was you, if you were saved 50 years ago at a camp somewhere or on a Sunday morning or God has more for you. God has so much more for you in this life that it wasn't just about saving you. It's that he wants you to experience his goodness every day in this life. Your salvation was the starting of all the promises of God, not the end. That he has so much more that he wants to give you, that he wants to do in your life. That we don't stop with the promise of salvation, but we continue to move and experience him more in this life. And one of those things that we get to experience is freedom. Because he says in the second promise, he says, listen, I will free you. In the Jewish tradition, this is the promise of sanctification. That I will set you apart. I will make you different from everybody else. I will take you from what the world knows you as, and I will make you something new and different and set apart from. And I will sanctify you. I will free you from all things. That is, the idea is that it's a, it's a promise of deliverance. Because you've experienced the need for this in your life. Especially if you've been saved especially if you've received the promise of salvation, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, and then you move in. Because, see, there's a lot of Christians who still struggle with addiction, who still struggle with sin. And not just one every now and then, but that favorite one that you just keep coming back to, that Satan keeps tempting you with, that Satan keeps beating you up with the guilt and the shame of. And what God says is, I'm not only going to save you, but I'm going to free you from that. I'm going to free you from your guilt. I'm going to free you from your past. I'm going to free you from all that's going on. See, God didn't just want to get his people out of Egypt. He wanted to get Egypt out of his people. He doesn't just want to save you and I from hell and get us out of hell. He wants to get the hellish things out of us. He doesn't want us to be tortured. We just did a whole series on spiritual warfare. He wants you to know you are free from that that you can have victory, that you can find freedom from that broken mindset, from that ideology, that you can find freedom from all that generational sin and those things that the Israelites were wrestling with that just got passed down from one generation to the next. He says, no, 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 it stops here. You can find freedom from all that. 
Yeah, we're saved, but God wants to free you from your addiction, from your sin, from your insecurity, from your fear, from your worry. He wants to free you from those routines and, and just that feeling of, of stuck. Or maybe it's for something so much more. Maybe it's from alcohol. Maybe it's from drugs. Maybe it's from that relationship that you just know you shouldn't be in. I don't know what it is, but you do. And God says, I'll set you free from that. I won't just save you. I will free you so that you can walk in a better life. But then he goes on to say, not only will I save you and free you, I'll give you purpose. I'll give you a reason to be here. He says, he says, listen, I will redeem you. And he would later go on in Scripture to say, I will redeem you with outstretched arms and mighty acts. That God would come in the flesh in the form of Jesus and would save us, but would also give us purpose. That we're not here just to go through the routine. And man, that routine gets tiring, doesn't it? It's, oh, Monday's here, and i got to go to work, and i got to get this done, and i got to get the kids fed, and i got to get to bed, and then we get up, and we do it all over again tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and when will it end? I says, that's not the life I had planned for you. I've given you purpose. That whatever your schedule is, you don't just do it because you have to, because you're stuck. You attack life with purpose. You attack your environments, your relationships with purpose. That I've made you for something so much more, God says. He says, whatever you do, do it for a purpose, with a higher purpose in mind. That it's not about more money or better status or what the neighbors will say or what our friends say, or just the accumulation of more stuff. He says, no, no, you've got a higher purpose for why you work where you work, for the people that are in your life, for the relationships you have. He says, I want you to, to discover what I have planned for you, and I want you to live on purpose. I want you to live for a purpose and make a difference. In other words, he's calling us all to be ministers. See, it's not just those of us who get up on stage or who work here during the week. He's calling you into something. He's moving you and saying, hey, I've made you on purpose. I've positioned you on purpose. You've got work to do. And I'll redeem you so that you can go and do it. So that you are free and you are saved and you are confident. But then he says, hey, I'll also, I'm going to take you out. I'm going I'm to free you. I'm going to redeem you. But he says, I'll also give you family. I will make you my people. Now, I have a little trouble translating the, the Hebrew this week, but basically the first three is, I will free you. I will bring you out. I will redeem you. And then the last one is, I will take y'all as my people. It's hard to translate that into Hebrew, but I got it, right? He says, listen, the first three are individual, they're personal, but the last one is community. The last one is family. He says, I want all of you all, I want y'all to be my people, and I want to be your God, all of you. He says, I want to share, I want to exist in community together. I want to spend time that you're going to make a difference because you weren't designed to live life alone. You weren't designed to try and figure this all out by yourself, that you were made to live life alone within community, both with God and with others. And part of what we believe is happening here at Gene Church is we are moving into an even greater season of that, that, that we want you to experience life together. 
That's why we have small groups. That's why we serve. That's why we volunteer. We want you to surround yourself with people that you don't just see on Sunday, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're, you're sharing life together. Every day it becomes just part of this community of believers living and existing and supporting and helping one another. That we are truly living out the plan that God had when he said, I will make you my people. and I will be your God. And that's the one thing that regardless of our differences and our past and our, our ethnicities and our social status, and that's the one thing that ties us all together. He says, you're my people, and I want you to live life. And so you wonder, okay, well, what does this have to do with us? What do you mean we're moving as a church? Well, we'll put up that next slide, and you'll see it, right? That's the graphic right there. That God is moving us out of death and slavery and hopelessness and feeling of forgotten, and because of his promises, that we begin to experience a life of salvation and freedom and purpose and family. That what we're going to be about today is that right there. What we're going to be about tomorrow is that right there. As we make ministry decisions and plans, this is what drives us. That we are going to center everything we do. We're going to continue to center. This isn't a new thing. But we're going to center everything we do on the promises of God that says, If you will follow me, I will do amazing things. I will set you free. I will give you purpose like you've never imagined. I will bring you out of the struggles and the frustrations. And I will give you a family to celebrate and enjoy it with. You look back at Gene's church a year ago, 18 months, two years, we've come a really long way. Some of those things are great, and some of them not so much. But through it all, when we held on to the promises of God, he showed us the way. It's not staff, it's not elders, it's all of us together as a family pursuing the purposes of God, pursuing the promises of God. So this is what we're going to be about. So you need a visual image, right? That's the picture you take. That's what you remember, that we are going to be a people. And our message to the world, our message to the community, to our schools, to our families, to our neighbors... It's going to be, we want to introduce you to the promises of God that are going to lead you into a life of salvation first and foremost. But more than that, freedom and purpose and family. And that's what God calls us to. And through God's promises, he can do a miracle in your marriage. He can do a miracle with that child that you pray over nightly and you can't figure out what in the world you're going to do with them. He can perform a miracle because that's what God does. So my last few minutes, I want to I share a truth with you from Scripture. And, and we're going to start a, an, an online um, devotional over the next 30 or so days as we go through this series. And we're going to put these out. But I, wanna, I want you to look at this first truth, this first promise from Scripture. It comes out of 2 Corinthians 1. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. That no matter what promise God has made you, no matter what you see all throughout Scripture, they are all yes because of Jesus Christ. That in coming into relationship with Him and knowing Him and following and pursuing Him, the promises God made, they're real. And they're a yes. 
And you can hold on to them because God says, listen, I know your situation and I've made you promises. I'll deliver you. I'll set you free. I'll give you what you need. I will make good on my promises because of Jesus Christ. He says, I've already done the hard stuff. I've already overcome sin. I've already overcome death. I can help you find the job. I can help restore relationships. I can give you the things you need. I can fulfill the promises I've made because I've already done all the work. I've already overcome everything. So he can change our attitudes. He can change our mindsets. He can change our schools. He can change our politics and our country and our state. He can change our world because that's who he is. He's a God that always makes good on his promises. That when he changes the hearts of his people, when he moves our hearts into a promised land, that we can do anything. We can do it all through him. Let me close with these three things. Three things I know about moving, right? I consider myself somewhat of an expert with the number of times I've moved, right? I know one thing's for sure. I know, I know that when you get ready to move, there's a bunch of junk you got to throw away, right? Let's be honest. There's that one closet that you don't even go into anymore. Because you know, you open that door, stuff's falling. And for some of you, God love you, you're a hoarder, it's not a closet, it's a room, isn't it? Mm-hmm, guilty laughter right there, that's what that was, right? For some of you guys, it's your garage or your shop or your storage building or that secret storage building that your wife doesn't know or that secret storage building and a half that your husband doesn't know that you have because it has all your shoes in it, right? We accumulate stuff. And we got to clean it out. We went to move here, and I thought, oh, this won't take long. We got a small house. We got one little storage. This won't take but a minute. Three months later, we were still cleaning out from under beds. We were still trying to figure out, listen, some of this stuff doesn't need to go. And we've already started planning for our next move. Listen, there's been some boxes in the garage that I haven't even looked in, so you know what that means? I don't need that stuff anyway. It's going. It's going to Goodwill. It's going to the trash. I don't care where it goes. It's just not coming with me. And some of you, that's your approach today. You've got some stuff you need to get rid of. If you're going to move into the promises that God has for you, it's time to clean out. It's time to stop carrying that same baggage, that same junk, time after time after time. But the other thing I know about moving is you need some help. I told you in the beginning when I was young, I could move everything by myself in a truck. I can't do that anymore, right? Our stuff is bigger and heavier, and my back is a lot older. I need help. And one of the best things about church is, is when you get, you get ready to move, you find out who your true friends are because they show up to help, right? I remember a few months ago, uh, Jamie's parents were moving, right? And, and they show up, and they say, hey, we need some help here. And, and it was really cool to see a bunch of guys show up and start moving. And I'm so glad because if I had been the only one, there was no way me and Roy were getting the safe out of the back of that truck. That safe was huge. It took six guys, I think, to get it out, and we still almost died. You need some help. That's why we're here. That's what family's all about. It's what our invitation is every week when we offer help. It's not because we want you to feel guilty or we want to coax you into it. It's because, hey, there's just sometimes you need to take a step and you can't do it by yourself. That to really move where God wants you to go, you need somebody there with you. So clean out some stuff. Get some help. But the other thing I know about moving, at the end of the day, you just got to be bold. You just got to go for it. 
You just got to make that decision. It may not be the perfect one. It may not be everything you wanted in that moment. But at some point, you just got to step out on faith and say, you know what? It's the right move. It's time to go. Let's go and do. Let's go and experience. Let's just believe that not only God can do it, but that God will do it. That God will show up and he's going to fulfill every promise. That everything he promises is a yes in Christ. That God is inviting us into the promised land. God is inviting us in to something better than wherever you're currently at, good or bad. He's inviting you to experience the fulfillment of his promises. And so today, that's my invitation to you. Go back to that last slide for a second. Does anything, maybe, maybe the last slide, is anything on that list look familiar in an area of your life right now? Is there a feeling of hopelessness, of forgottenness? You just feel overwhelmed? Maybe there's a relationship that you don't know if it has any life left or not. See, what our invitation is as we go through this series is let's move. Let's move out of that. Let's just believe God can. Let's invite God to do it in our life like he's done time and time again and move out of that and into the promised land. So we're going to close this morning, and I'm going to ask you just to, uh, just to go ahead and stand right now, right where you are. Just kind of bow your head. And I'm going to pray over you, but, but I want you to listen to me, though, okay? When I'm done praying, they're going to sing a song that you're probably not going to know, which is going to give you a perfect opportunity to respond. We've got folks that will help you move, but you've got to be bold and step out. You've got to be bold and take that first step. So let's pray, and when I'm done praying, they're going to sing. You can sing with them. You can worship, but it may be time to move. And it may be time to move and get some help. And if so, we've got that help waiting for you in the back. Heavenly Father, we invite you into this place. We invite you into our lives and say, God, there are areas that are hurting, that are dry, that are worn. Yeah, there are areas that need to come alive. There are areas where we need to embrace your promise. And so, God, for that for that husband and wife whose marriage is on its last leg, would you give them the courage and the boldness to move into your promise of freedom and purpose in life? For that family who's just torn up over some bitterness or some unforgiveness, God, would you, would you open their hearts and allow them to move into your promise of healing and deliverance and freedom? God, for that individual who's heard about you, they sing about you, they talk about you, but they've never experienced your salvation. God, would you give them the courage to move, to step out, to be bold, and receive your blessing. And God, for, for all of us here, would you draw us close as a family? Would you allow us to not feel forgotten, not feel abandoned, not feel alone, but know that we have folks that love you and love us and will walk with us through anything that this life can throw at us. God, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.